Before I start, I want to say a few words about Haiti. I want to say thank you to everybody who's been using their platform to share what's been going on in Haiti. I need y'all to understand that this isn't just a hashtag or some fleeting moment. What's been going on in Haiti has been happening for no less than a century. It all comes down to two things, stolen resources and stolen land. Haiti isn't a poor country without resources. The resources are literally always stolen or they're given away by the government of Haiti. The Haitian government is complicit. Haitian celebrities have been complicit from their involvement with the pillagers known as the Clintons to the way that Wyclef's charity, they misappropriated funds, especially after the earthquake in 2010. I wrote about this in detail on the Carter. That's the Carter that world. I want you all to check that out if you are interested in a deep dive into what's really been happening for decades. I remember as a kid hearing my grandmother and her sister sitting in front of Adjo Chopikov and listening to everything going on in Haiti. I remember people coming over to hear my grandfather's opinions on everything. It was like they were coming over to kiss the ring. And grown men and grown women would just come listen to what he had to say about what was going on. And the reason I mentioned that is to make y'all understand, like I said, this isn't just some fleeting or trending topic. This is our entire life. This is real life or death shit. This ain't content or talking point or fodder. Thousands of people have died because of a dictatorship, because of capitalism, kidnapping, raping, pillaging. This ain't whatever war story you think you have that makes you tough. This is systemic genocide. I done seen some shit and I don't talk about it often because pain ain't nothing to be proud of. So please be mindful of how you're speaking on and sharing what's going on in Haiti because there is this emotional attachment that most of you won't have unless you're Haitian. So I ask for your empathy in the matter. Also, please do not donate to any quote unquote charities that are popping up. I'm around. And if you want to know if a charity is legit or not, please just ask me. It's been near impossible to get money to people in Haiti, especially ones in the middle of a civil war, unless you're flying down and bringing the money down to Haiti yourself. So please be cautious of these charitable scams because I know y'all just trying to help and I appreciate that. But be careful. Thank y'all for allowing me to get that out. And now I'll start the episode. You are now listening to Learn Life, hosted by Alan Patron. To all the non-believers, now I bet you see, nobody does it better than me. They can come closer than close, yeah. Original, they never will be. We bump it from coast to coast, yeah, yeah. Just trying to make you see Nobody does it better. The late great Nate Dogg on the intro The other day marked 10 years since he passed away 10 fucking years His voice is sorely missed Last week marked 24 years since Biggie has been gone So that means Biggie has been gone as long as he's been alive How crazy is that to think about? I saw a few people they were mentioning that they would rather celebrate Biggie's birthday, and that's completely fucking fair. But as black people, you know, we turn our pain into a rallying cry. Like, look what we've done with the word nigga. So as we mourn Biggie or Nate Dogg or any of our legends who've passed away, we use the day to come together and celebrate their life because we remember where they were when we found out they were gone. So we suppress that sadness by celebrating. And it's definitely our coping mechanism. It's definitely our defense mechanism. So while I understand the desire to want to celebrate their birthdays, a genius named Jadakiss once said, why not laugh at death and cry at birth and never say you can't do it till you try it first? 
And I'll be honest with y'all, I'm not really in the mood to do anything but write and create. So I'm not going to waste your time with this episode. What I want to talk about today is the lack of originality in the world, especially in the creative and entertainment spaces. You know, I understand that great art inspires more great art, but there's a very thick line between inspired by and tracing. Like, remember when you cheat on the test, like you try to get at least two wrong so that they knew you wasn't copying. I feel like you're judging the shit out of me right now, but whatever, you know what the fuck I mean. There's something going on with all these remakes and sequels that are 30 years too fucking late. And in this episode, I'm going to explain what that means. This episode is entitled Original. I only spelled it that way so I can show you how stupid Will I Am's name is. And I try not to speak bad or speak ill of other black people. But William of the Black Eyed Peas, he got this All Lives Matters face. I can't explain it, but I feel like y'all understand what the fuck I mean. Anyway, one time for all the originators. This is Learn Life. I'm the best dad, you know I know a minute to this. Me and my niggas, we invented shit. I came into the business with this. The originator, none greater. How the fuck did Timbaland get away with using the same beat three times in the span of two years? He did it on One in a Million with Leah, Cheers to You by Player, and then Hov's Nigga What Nigga Who. I don't know if that makes Timbaland a genius or if it makes him lazy, but he got three hits out of one fucking beat. I actually bought um, One in a Million, the album by Aaliyah. I got it for a penny. Remember that shit? Six CDs for a penny. One time they actually had it like that 12, (laughs) 12 CDs for a fucking penny. And it was those commercials, man. Those commercials, they used to really have me fucking hypnotized. So once I saw that sheet with all the albums that came in the mail, I was on it. Then you remember those other commercials, the We Are the 70s or We Are the 80s or whatever. And they would like sell like soul music compilation CDs and cassettes. This shit would have like 802 songs on the tape. Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes were always on that shit. And they'd like let a snippet of the song play. And the beat goes on. Da, da, da. The shit from the whispers and shit. You see what I just did there? That's nostalgia. That felt good, right? That's what creative and entertainment is doing to all of us nowadays. Again, it's a thick line. Especially with our music. Because there is no rap music without sampling. And even fucking R&B. Like, look at... All of Mary J. Blige's songs that I loved as a kid. And I still do. I still love them. But how many remakes are in her catalog? And I don't mean to single her out or you know paint her as anything less than the legend that she is. But when I grew older and I learned more about music, that shit blew me away. Shit, Biggie's albums. Damn near everything is a fucking sample. And for the most part, I enjoy the nostalgia in music. Because there's a certain you know homage that the artists are paying. And with the music... These are songs that artists sang when they were coming up, songs that were played around the crib or during parties back in the day or whatever. And I'm not one of those people who think that the original is automatically better than the remix or the remake. Like, look at it ain't hard to tell. Like, you'll never be able to tell me that human nature is better than what Nas did to that beat. But then again, I feel like maybe that's my bias, especially rap bias, because there's no denying that Michael Jackson is the greatest entertainer the world has ever fucking seen. It's really bugged out to me that, you know, people bring up anyone else's name with Michael Jackson. It's like when people bring up other basketball players with Michael Jordan. Like, I'm all for healthy debates and fun conversations, but don't play in my fucking face, please. Like, y'all be using goats to market whatever y'all got going on. Don't do that to me, please. Shit, look at sports. All these leagues are copycat leagues. Remember when the Miami Dolphins were running the Wildcat with Ronnie Brown in them? Then the whole fucking league decided to do it. Well, like today's NBA. Like, I think the players are incredibly talented. But since Steph turned the game upside down, everybody just pulling up from wherever. 
And don't get me wrong, watching basketball players shoot is beautiful. It's fun, but it's redundant. And it, sometimes it's ineffective. I don't give a fuck what the analysis, analytics, Tetris, metrics. I don't give a fuck about none of that stuff. And I'm not going to say that the game is ruined. I won't disrespect these players and their talent like that. But it's fucking boring to watch everyone try to do the same fucking thing. And back to music, that's why I love Swiss Beats so much. He's a genius in the purest form of genius. He's my favorite producer ever because he can meld these sounds together and make them make sense. Like he was 19 years old, 20, 21 years old. He's making hits with sounds and he made them feel like color. Like actually fuck the hits. Like listen to Kiss of Death by Jadakiss. There's so much going on at once, but it's not busy. If that makes any type of fucking sense. So there's a way to appreciate samples, originals, and all of that. But I'll tell you this. Hollywood is absolutely out of pocket with all these fucking remakes. Fuck you! Fuck you! And fuck you! Who's next? Coming to America is the greatest movie ever. And if a sequel dropped in 1991, it would have made perfect fucking sense. But to use the name of the greatest movie ever made as this cash grab, all because you want to capitalize on the success of Black Panther and Wakanda and Zamunda like 30 years later is fucking crazy to me. The real crazy thing is, Coming to America, the sequel, it wasn't an awful movie. And I didn't go into it looking for the original movie. I'm smarter than that. The thing that makes Coming to America the greatest movie ever was the tone. It's the tone. There aren't any cues to laugh. That's the genius in it. I remember Bernie Mac said something, and God, I miss Bernie Mac so fucking much. But Bernie Mac said something about a laugh track being disrespectful to the audience, like it's insulting our intelligence. And that's why the Bernie Mac show didn't have a laugh track. So comedic tone is just as important as the comedic timing. And my comedic timing stinks sometimes. I'll be honest about that. And that's why I'm a better writer than I am a comedian. I just stand up for a whole summer. <laughs> it's something that I really wanted to do. I would only invite one of my friends. I'm talking about my brother, like 25 years in. I can go to his crib right now and take a shit if he's not home. That type of friend. You know what I mean? I was so nervous to do stand-up because, you know, you have to work out your kinks in front of people. It's so fucking embarrassing. And one time, my homeboy Dom had his rap showcase in Manhattan or whatever. And he asked me to do this comedy set during the intermission or whatever, right? I invited mad people. They all pulled up. And I completely bombed. Like, my confidence was so fucking shattered. And I took the jokes that everybody had for me that night in stride. Well, for the most part, I did a few sets after that. Um, they were decent, but I knew I should stick to writing because, again, my timing wasn't always on. So writing jokes for other people, you know, and ghostwriting in general is where I butter my bread. That's how important comedic timing, comedic tone are. So with the sequel of Coming to America, the tone was so different from the original and the comedy felt forced in some spots. And like, you know, they wanted to put a laugh track in the film. And that was really cringy, man. It, it felt like a family reunion or like a class reunion. It was fun, but it was awkward. And the awkward wasn't cool awkward. It was eh, eh, kind of awkward. Like, I was happy to see everyone. I enjoyed all the callbacks to the original. Of course, they wanted to play on our nostalgia. But it's not a movie that I'm ever going to watch again. And this isn't a case of me not supporting black art. I watched this shit. People think if you're critical of something that you don't support it. But if I didn't support it or if I didn't care, I would have said nothing. I supported it by watching it. Like Eddie Murphy can stand on a screen and laugh for 10 minutes and I'll watch that shit. I'm always going to support us. But there are certain things that I just can't get with. Like, why the fuck is there a remake of Good Times Coming? 
and it's going to be animated. Who the fuck asked for that? Who the fuck wants that? It's 2021. I'm not entertained by black people struggling. My show and my films will never be centered around the struggling. And that's not me trying to whitewash the black experience, but I'm tired of the welfare jokes and such. You know what I mean? Like, ain't nothing funny about using real pain for someone's amusement, especially if you didn't experience that pain. It's very fucking tasteless. Like, don't get it fucked up. All of our stories deserve to be told. But why is it always to such such extremes? Why can't people just go to the films and, and watch ourselves be? Like, why can't black people just watch themselves be? Be grounded. Be human. Be happy. So I feel like that's my job as a writer, to tell those stories. Because as in tune as I am with reality, my gift is such that I can create a new one for us. You know, I'm not trying to play God, but my pen is nice. My pen is fucking godly. And my pen is original. Like, I'm inspired by the grace that came before me, no doubt. But I'm great as me. I'm not great as them. I'm not trying to be a bad imitation of them. Like, I even think about what the NBC streaming network, the Peacock, is doing. Punky Brewster really needed a sequel. Saved by the Bell needed a remake sequel. We all know the answer is no. See, studios are scared to take a chance on new material. So what they're doing is remaking shit that has a built-in audience to cover their ass. You know, they're playing on everyone's nostalgia so they can make safe money. And then there's this whole, you know, putting comedians in dresses shit. And the reason it's done is that these white studio heads can put a black face on their homophobia. Because you're not thinking about who's signing the checks. You're thinking about the actors, the directors who quote unquote created it. And that's where, you know, I have to talk about Tyler Perry. Like, I'm not offended by anything he does on screen. And one of the reasons I'm not offended is because, you know, his ends seem to justify his means. He does good in the community and all that. So why the fuck would I care about what he's doing on screen? But when you really think about it, it's hilarious that Tyler Perry had a rescue these aristocrats, millionaires from this evil monarchy. It's like he's writing his next film. Like, what happened to Meghan Markle is fucking awful. But it's also like a Tyler Perry film in the making. Like, Meghan Markle married a white dude who wore a swastika for Halloween. This black woman married into a historically racist family. Not regular racist, historic racist. And this black woman convinces her innocent swastika-wearing ginger to denounce his royal family. Then they're protected by a black billionaire who moonlights as an old black church lady named Medea. I know I shouldn't say this about another black man, but Tyler Perry belongs behind fucking bars. All jokes aside, I love what he writes and produces because it gives me a blueprint of what not to do. But just because I'm not offended doesn't mean that you know what he does isn't offensive. Like, I'm not the totality of everything that exists in the world. Like, black women are saying his shit is offensive. So if they're saying that, then his shit is offensive. There's nothing that we should argue about that. Anyway, that's my time. My name is Alan. You've been listening to Learn Life. Subscribe, rate, and review. Because what the fuck would you do if I didn't tell you to do that? You have to subscribe, rate, and review. The world will fucking implode if I don't say that. And do remember, the light at the end of the tunnel is your own reflection. And I'll see you on the other side. I would fly, let me contemplate I glance in the cut and I see my homie Nate Sixteen in the clip and one in the hole Nate Dog is about to make some bodies turn cold Now they dropping and yelling, it's a tad bit late Nate Dog and Warren G had to regulate